Good morning, friends. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Brent. Uh, I am our groups pastor here at MRCC. At least I'm the legs and the head. You may not be able to see my torso very well. Stop. Yeah. Oh, stop. No, I mean, well, you with going. me today. Oh, is. sorry. My name is Tyler. I'm the youth pastor here at MRCC. Yeah, and, absolutely. And we're, we're here to give you some announcements. We're the dynamic duo, or we've been called the two stooges by Pastor what Craig. What was the other one? Uh, we're, we're Larry and Mo, and we are accepting applications for a curve. You know what? I, I found it. I found it. I found it. We get to choose who gets what, but dumb and dumber. Oh, yeah. There we yeah. go. I'll be dumber. It probably shifts right. on the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, a lot of people have pointed out that it's hunting season and maybe assume that's why I'm wearing the camo. That is not true. I wear it to hide from my responsibilities and from people and from those horse chickens. Those darn things are everywhere. They're always around and, and I can't stand them. So I hide from everything with my camo. And we have a few announcements for you guys this morning. The first is that our groups are launching this week. We believe that the best ways that we can build relationship with other believers is by getting plugged in somewhere to serve and by getting plugged in in a group where we can build deeper meaningful relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And our small groups here are a, a fantastic way to do that. Uh, if you want to, it's not too late to get signed up to join a group. If you want to do that, you can go to mrccnow.org online and fill out the form. I'd also love if you would have any questions. I'll be out in the foyer. You can just come ask me, say hi. Uh, I might be a little hard to find, but I believe in you. Oh my gosh. Uh, another way to get connected here at MRCC, we have big group events um, and tomorrow is our first band of brothers. I need all of the men in here. I need one collective grunt on three. Ready? One, two, three. That was terrible. It's okay. It's all right. There's always next month. But uh, that was good. That was good. Uh, but we want to invite you tomorrow night, 6.30 p.m. here in the sanctuary for uh, Band of Brothers. It's just a time for guys to come together in fellowship. We usually hear a word from Pastor Dave or Pastor Greg, um, but that is tomorrow night at 6.30. I don't know what that is. Um, sorry. Uh, but uh, on that note, we are not doing dinner anymore. There won't be any spotted pickles or anything like that. We're just doing desserts now. And so uh, please don't come ready for a meal, but uh, desserts. And that's not a bad thing. I eat dinner specifically just to get two desserts. So, yeah. I mean, dessert is a wonderful thing. We get to skip thing. straight to the to the. Prize. And you can have more dessert. So it, it's a win in my book. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm up next, aren't I? Yes, I am. Uh, another fantastic thing we have coming up starting on October 1st is our membership classes. We do these regularly here at MRCC. And if you feel like... Uh, MRCC is your home. Uh, if you've made a home here, the membership courses are a great way just to get to know us better as a church, get to know uh, other believers that are also have decided to make this place their home. You can sign up for that out in the foyer or online as well. And then lastly, if you're ready to take the next step in your faith and get uh, publicly baptized, uh, we have baptism signups. Uh, the next baptism is... October 29th, and if you'd like to uh, get baptized or find out any more information about it, please don't hesitate to uh, call the church office. We'll also be in the foyer uh, to where you can sign up for that as well. And then also, if you're looking just to be in the know and kind of know what's going on here at MRCC, um, you can take your phone out. You can scan the, the barcode on the seat back in front of you, and uh, that'll take you to a Connect card, and you can just fill that out. And that way, uh, you just get more connected and know what's going on here at MRCC. Uh, if you want to open your Bible this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Dumb and Dumber, I think that works. Yeah, I think that one works. First service, we talked about Evan Costello, Laurel and Hardy, the two stooges, but I think we're there with Dumb and Dumber. We can discuss 
in staff meeting on Monday, who's who, although I know they'll probably assign that to me. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you, church. Welcome to second service here at MRCC. I love the fact that when I look out, I see the faces of my family, brothers and sisters, um, names and lives, and that's a cool thing. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online as well. We're thrilled that you're with us this morning, and, and we are going to continue our journey through Luke's gospel. We're just a couple of weeks away from opening up that children's building next door. That's pretty exciting. We're looking forward to that. We're actually going to have kind of a thing when we do that on Sunday morning. You'll be able to tour it and all that kind of stuff, so more details coming up about that, but Luke's Gospel, chapter 15 this morning, beginning with verse 1. And you'll remember that we said at the beginning of the year that we're going to take a road trip. We're calling it a road trip through Luke's Gospel, uh, every part of it for this year. And the reason we're doing that is because Jesus said that we need to watch out for false prophets, for people telling untruths about who Jesus is or about what he seeks or what he wants. And today we call that a deep fake, and we know how pervasive and powerful it can be. Jesus said, hey, watch out for false prophets. They seem harmless, but they're sheeps in wolves' clothing. Um, no, I said that backwards. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. See, see, so you got to pay attention. Um, but the Lord said, if we just pay attention to the real Jesus, we'll always be able to discern the imposter. So we're doing that. We're in Luke's gospel, chapter 15. Let me begin this morning by asking you this. Have you ever needed to be rescued? You know, maybe you locked yourself out of the house. You know, maybe you got yourself in a pickle somehow and had to be rescued. I think everybody sooner or later has that experience and usually more times than once. I've needed to be rescued more times than I can count. I remember not long after I moved to Enumclaw, and uh, I stopped down here on Griffin at the, the Circle K, 7-Eleven, whatever it is these days, and when I stopped, I was in a hurry, and I did what we all know we're not supposed to do, and that is I left my pickup running, and I ran inside to grab something just real quick, grab my soda that I needed. Well, when I came back out... My pickup was still running, and I realized that I had locked my keys inside my truck and had locked the truck when I ran inside. So there I am standing in the parking lot with my truck running, my phone inside the truck, and no way to access it. And you want to talk about feeling like an idiot. I actually had to bother somebody and borrow their phone so that I could call a locksmith. And then I got to experience one of the great joys of life, which is to sit there on the curb next to your running vehicle waiting for the locksmith to come. Why all these people who now know you walk by and say, hey, Pastor Greg, what are you doing? Well, I actually locked myself out of my truck. Oh, wow, you're stupider than we thought, you know. And the truck's running the whole time. You're just watching the gas gauge go down. But I remember the feeling when the locksmith finally got there. It took a couple of hours, of course. But when that person finally got there and opened up the door and let me back in, what a feeling of relief. What a feeling of freedom. And, and God wants to talk to us about that reality this morning. Everyone needs to be rescued in some ways at some times during their life because everybody does stupid things sometimes. No matter how much we don't want to, we all do. But not many of us can hold a candle to Larry Walters when it comes to needing to be rescued from being dumb. You may know the story of Larry Walters. If you don't, let me share it with you. 
In July of 1982, a 34-year-old truck driver from San Pedro, California, named Larry Walters, became forever known, immortalized, as Lawn Chair Larry for his unintended adventure. Here's what happened. He and his girlfriend, Carolyn, tied 43 surplus weather balloons to his lawn chair in his backyard, and he planned to use the winch on his Jeep to raise the lawn chair with the balloons into the sky so he could have a few beers and enjoy the view. Just think about the amount of thinking that had to go into this choice, right? Well, you know, he grabbed a sandwich, a six-pack, a CB radio, and a pellet gun and climbed into his lawn chair. His plan was that after he was done sort of floating around in the sky over his neighborhood, he would shoot out the balloons and lower himself back down to earth. Of course, things went wrong, right? So he gets about 40 feet in the air, his girlfriend raising him up on the winch from the Jeep, when the cable on the winch broke. And Lawn Chair Larry began to ascend. Over the next half hour, he reached a height of 16,000 feet above Los Angeles. And he began to get noticed by the authorities when not one, but two airliners approaching the airport radioed to the tower to report that they had just passed a man in a lawn chair on their approach <laughs> to the airport. True story. He later said, yeah, I was pretty scared when I saw the planes go by. <laughs> Over uh, the next half hour, Larry was able to get in touch using the CB radio he brought along. <laughs> with a local CB radio group called REACT, and they were able to notify the authorities and get an amateur pilot on the radio who then coached him through carefully shooting out each of the right balloons in sequence. You know, there's a balance issue going here. To help him begin to descend. And he started coming back down. Took about 45 minutes, and of course the story couldn't be over as he got close to the ground, he actually got hung up in some power lines and caused a blackout that affected 20,000 people in San Pedro, California. But the fire department and the police department were able to get him safely to the ground. And in fact, his lawn chair now resides in the Smithsonian Museum in Washington, D.C. You can go see it. When they got him down, the police arrested him, and then they set out to charge him, but they couldn't figure out what to charge him with. And so actually, they just let him go. And Larry later admitted, yeah, it probably wasn't a very smart thing to do. <laughs> yeah, we all need to be rescued sometime. Now, here's, here's what I want us to grasp, is that, you know, once once the authorities, the fire department, the police department, the CD club, this amateur pilot, the FAA, and so on, once they realized Larry's predicament, even though it was the dumbest thing you can possibly think of anybody doing, yet still, everybody immediately became devoted to making sure he was rescued. They didn't say, hey, you got yourself into this pickle, you get yourself out of it. No, instead, dozens of people 
worked to safely rescue Larry and get him back down to the ground. Now, the sad thing is that he became an inspiration, and over the next 10 years, lots of people went up in their lawn chairs, and some lost their lives, but... The fire department and the police department didn't simply say, you made your bed, now lay in it. They set out to rescue him. Here's why I tell that story this morning, church. That's how God feels. God doesn't look at my life and say, wow, Greg, you've done some dumb things. Well, he does that. But then he doesn't say, now I'm just going to leave you alone in that mess. Instead, he sets out to rescue us. And he doesn't just do that for me. He does that for everybody. He does that for you. He does that for all the people around you. What he wants to see is each and every one of them rescued. This is the heart of God. This is why we worship him. Because his desire is to rescue. And this morning, our Lord Jesus wants us to grasp how deep this desire goes and how much it matters to him. So Luke 15, beginning with verse 1, here's, here's what the Bible says. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him, to hear Jesus. Isn't that interesting? The people who were far from God, whose lifestyle was out of line with God, the people who had made a lot of messes in their personal lives were nevertheless drawn to Jesus. When I hear that, I ask myself, hey, do, do I have that effect on people? I hope so. I hope they want to hear me. Th these folks did. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, let me invite you this morning to notice two things. First of all, I just mentioned a moment ago, lots of people who were far from God were nevertheless interested in hearing what Jesus was saying. Ask yourself why. You know, we tend to assume that people who don't share our faith aren't interested in what Jesus says. But the Bible tells us that's not the case. In fact, a, a wonderful book, The Unchurched Next Door, written by a man named Dr. Thomas Rayner, has remained in my heart since I first read it about 10 years ago. And what he did was he uh, interviewed hundreds of thousands of people across the country using multiple universities working in huge groups to just ask people why they go to church, why they don't. And one of the amazing discoveries was that 73% of people who are unchurched during this study said, yeah, I'd be interested in going to church if invited and accompanied by somebody I know. Three out of four people in our country. We, we have this narrative in our heads that, that everybody who's not in church is against church, but the reality is three out of four say, I'd like to check it out if I just knew somebody who went and I could go with them. It's an amazing thing to think. That, that's happening here in Jesus' life. Why do you think they gathered around him even though they were far from God? There's a couple of reasons. One is because he was saying something different than old-fashioned religion says, quote-unquote. And when I say that, here's what I mean. A lot of times religion is portrayed as what people should do for God. But the gospel is about, first, what God does for people. And Jesus knew that and felt that and lived that. And so as a consequence, his life felt welcoming to people who were far from God. That's amazing. I, I want my life to feel like that. 
to people who are far from God. I want them to be drawn to me. They were drawn to Jesus. He told stories that touched the heart as well as the head. That's important because sometimes we fall into the trap of just trying to be right about everything. Jesus didn't just want to be right. He wanted to be good. And, and people could feel it. Even those who were far from God could feel that. And the scripture says they would gather around him. They were drawn near to him. In other words, he welcomed sinners. When I read that, I ask myself, do I? Is that my default to welcome people into my life who are far from God? It, it was Jesus's default. People felt welcome around him. Let me ask you to ask yourself, do you live in such a way that people who don't know Jesus as their Savior are drawn to you and want to hear what you say? If not, that's worth thinking about. Israel failed at this miserably. In their eyes, the world was us and them, Jews and Gentiles. And so as a consequence, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 2 wrote this about the Israel of Jesus' day. He said, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. People hate God because of the way you live. Wow. And that wasn't a new thing. The apostles actually quoting the prophet Isaiah, who 600 years before had said that to Israel. And Jesus is saying the same kind of thing in this moment. What do people think about God after meeting me? There's a question worth asking yourself. And they also gathered around him because they knew that Jesus, catch this, it's important. Jesus wanted more than just justice. We live in a world obsessed with justice. And we often, when we say justice, what we mean is getting even. But Jesus had a different goal, a different ambition. Right from the beginning, the Bible tells us in John chapter 1 this about him, that uh, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Christ. Jesus came to bring, catch this friends, more than justice. The answer to our world's problems is not just justice. It's something more than justice. It's the grace that transforms the heart. And Jesus knows that, and so he's living that out. Now, because he welcomed sinners, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the hyper-religious folks of that day, they didn't like that. They were unhappy about that. And they muttered and complained and they criticized. And hearing this, Jesus tells some stories. Let's listen. So Jesus told them this parable, knowing that they were muttering about him because he was welcoming sinners. He told them this parable. He said, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. In other words, God doesn't just say sheep are stupid and if they get lost, it's their own fault. He does say sheep are stupid. You ever been around sheep? You know this. But then he constantly goes to rescue them from their dumb mistakes and from their silly errors. I came across a video clip this week that I thought captured the reality of sheep perfectly. It's about 30 seconds long. It starts out as a picture of a shepherd rescuing a sheep. Watch what happens. Give your attention to the screen for just a second. <laughs> Ah. 
этой стороны, против The life of a shepherd, right? You know, it's just like, come on, you just jumped in that hole. But that's how sheep are. And shepherds know that. And they just keep seeking them. And church, Jesus wants us to grasp that this is God's heart towards us. Maybe you've made the same dumb mistake a hundred times. He never stops wanting to pull you out of the hole. And he set you free. And Jesus tells this to the Pharisees so that they would understand the real heart of the God they claim to worship. The shepherd in Jesus' story seeks and rescues those foolishly lost sheep. And in the same way, he seeks to rescue us. He seeks to rescue you. He seeks to rescue the people around you. Jesus wants us to understand by telling us this story that the heart, this is the heart of God because we tend to condemn ourselves. And then when we condemn ourselves, we condemn others. And we cease to be part of the rescuing. Do you believe that it's God's heart to rescue you? You really need to feel that. Jesus wants you and me to feel that. And then the Lord goes on to, to make sure we grasp God's heart and to do an extra thing that's really significant, the second half of the story. Look what it says. Jesus is still telling the story about the shepherd. He goes, he rescues the sheep, he brings it home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together. Catch that. And he says, rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. And then the Lord says, I tell you, in the same way, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to. So in other words, God gets emotional about rescuing lost people. I had lunch with a man this week, and as we talked about life and things, he, he started to talk about his son. And as he started to talk about the experience of fatherhood, and he said, I'm discovering in myself a desire to see my son succeed more than me. All my life, I've wanted to succeed. Now, I want him to succeed more than me. And as he told me this, his eyes filled with tears, and he got all choked up. We were in a public place. He didn't care. I thought to myself, oh, yes, that's how God feels for us. He gets emotional about us because we're his sons and daughters. Jesus wants us to know God gets emotional. But then Jesus added this little detail about the friends and neighbors. Why do you think he included it? Here's why. Jesus is telling this story as an invitation. He's saying to the Pharisees and experts in the law, hey, I'm rescuing. I'm seeking a saving. I'm inviting you to join me in it. I want you to become God's friend by joining him in this rescuing. And this is really important to Jesus, so he keeps on teaching. Look at the second story he tells, verses 8 to 10. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Silver coins were valuable, by the way. You're talking about, about a month's wages. She loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together. There's the same theme, the same idea. She calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is a big deal. What does Jesus want you and me to grasp? That it's God's heart to save. It's God's heart to seek and save, to rescue people who've made dumb decisions, who've made bad choices, who've got themselves into all kinds of messes. His heart always remains to rescue them. And he's emotional about it. And... He invites us to be part of that. 
to be part of that search and rescue. You know, uh, back during the summer, um, I took my motorcycle down to the car wash over in Buckley to give it a good wash. I was going to go riding with some guys, you know, men are vain about their motorcycles, so I had to have it all spotless and everything before we went. So I, I took it over there on a gorgeous day, Saturday, to, to wash it. And I'm in there scrubbing it down real good before we go on the ride, and I, I did something stupid. I dropped my key through the grate in the bottom of the car wash and down into the mess underneath. Now, here's the, the rest of the story. That was the only key for my motorcycle. I bought the bike a year ago. When we walked out of the showroom, my wife said, hey, there's only one key. You should have a copy made. I said, yes, I should. I'll get right on that. That was a year ago, okay? And I still hadn't made a copy. Then to make it even worse, I was wearing this one jacket that I wear when I ride my motorcycle, and it has a giant hole in the right pocket. You say, why do you wear that? Because I'm dumb, okay? I wear that. And every time I put it on, I say to myself, remember, don't put anything in the right pocket. Rhonda says, well, why don't you get that pocket fixed? I'll get to it. But I hadn't. So as I'm washing the bike, I put my key in my right jacket pocket. It falls out. It goes down into the grate where all the water and junk drains. I'm like, ah, that's my only key. I don't have another key. If I can't find that key, I'm never going to leave this place without somebody rescuing me. And so I'm like, are you kidding? How could this happen? Lord, why did you let this happen? It's what we always say when we make dumb choices, okay? I'm like, oh, so, you know, I push the bike out of the way and, and I pull up the grates and I realize that this drain down here is like three feet deep and I, I've got to lay on my chest and get my arm all the way down and up to the shoulder and all this gunk. And I'm trying to be really careful because if I bump it, it's going to go down some pipe to never, never land and I'm never going to see it again, right? And I'm trying to find it. Oh, Lord, I'm praying. Oh, boy. I'm a man of prayer. Did you know that? <laughs> And I'm saying, Lord Jesus, please let me find this key. And it stinks and it's mucky. And all of a sudden, my fingers touched my key. And I grabbed it and I pulled it out. And despite the fact that I'm sitting there soaking wet and filthy, I'm like, hallelujah, right? I found my key. <laughs> Jesus says God feels like that about lost people. He doesn't mind sticking his arm in the muck. He doesn't mind getting down on his hands and knees and getting filthy. He doesn't mind people driving by going, what are you doing? <laughs> he doesn't care about any of that because he wants to rescue people. And Jesus says that he's inviting us to be part of that. You know, when I found that key, what a feeling. It was an emotional feeling because all my stupidity was erased. God says he wants us to grasp that that's his heart. And he wants us to understand that we're invited to join him in this search and rescue. You and me are invited to join him. I love telling the story of what happened when a man by the name of Glenn I, I shared this a few years ago, I share it again today. He was a 44-year-old sailor, Australia, East Coast. He was out at sea about 270 miles when uh, a rogue wave came by flipped his boat, threw him in the water, broke his boat into three pieces. He didn't even have time to send out a distress call, although fortunately the transponder on his boat was still beeping uh, the, a distress signal. And so the Australian Coast Guard picked up that signal and, and set out to rescue him. But the problem was with the currents and the waves and the, the, the uh, boat floating off, they found the wreckage, but they couldn't find Mr. Mr. I, although they knew he was in the water. They searched for him giant ocean, couldn't find him, and, 
and there was, you know, a lot of desperation. And then they realized that there was a, a flight, an airline flight coming towards Australia that was passing right over the search area. And somebody had an inspiration. They called the airline. They got in touch with the airport who got in touch with the pilots on the plane. And the next thing you know, the, the, the captain came on the PA and told the passengers on the airliner, a flight coming from California, that they were going to descend to 4,000 feet, make an unscheduled detour, and make a series of circles for the next hour through the search area where this man was lost. And, and the captain said, hey, would you help us try and find him? Can we get the people with the best eyes by the windows? Would everybody just move around, change seats? And, and would you stare out the windows and see if we can spot Mr. I? We're going to spend the next hour. Some of you are going to miss your flights. We're sorry. We'll work with you to, to get that figured out. Some of you are going to miss transports. So you're going to get there late and everything. But will you please help us? And the story goes that there wasn't any complaining. There wasn't any arguing. People swapped, moved, optimized the situation so that people could get to the windows and look out. And as the plane flew at 4,000 feet over the ocean for the next half hour, everybody was looking for Mr. I. And fortunately, after about 40 minutes, somebody spotted him. They were able to radio back to the airport, which was able to contact the Coast Guard, which was able to send the Coast Guard to rescue this man. And when the plane landed at the airport, by now the story had got out. Reporters were there. And every member of that plane flight was like, that was a great experience. That made our whole vacation. Yeah, we're late. We've got to figure things out, but that was worth doing. You see, there was a joy that those people discovered in being part of a search and rescue. And Jesus tells these stories because he's inviting us to be part of that joy, that seeking and saving. This morning, Jesus wants you to know that you're invited to be part of his seeking and saving lost people. See, this is his heart. He, he made it plain over and over and over again. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Explaining himself to another Pharisee, Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 17, understand this, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And on the night Jesus went to the cross, gathered his disciples for the last time, and he said, you know what, guys, I've invited you to be part of my mission, and because of that, you're not my servants anymore, you're my friends. Jesus' words, I no longer call you servants. A servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. God wants to invite us into the experience Jesus talked about in the parables of being the friends and neighbors who rejoice with the seeker. And this morning, that invitation is given to you and me. Now, here's the thing as we turn into the home stretch this morning is a lot of us think, man, I, I, there's so many parts of helping somebody find their way to Jesus that I'm not good at or I don't know how to do. So then we say, well, I can't do that. But here's the thing. God's word wants us to understand seeking and saving lost people isn't something that solo superheroes do all by themselves. It's something we do as a team. It's something we do together. It's something we all participate in. We all play little parts in. Here's how 1 Corinthians chapter 3 puts it. The Apostle Paul writing about how people come to Christ says this, I planted a seed, Apollos watered it, and then God made it grow. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants, the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his labor, and we are God's fellow workers. In other words, each of us just plays a part in everybody else's search and rescue. Each of us just plays a key role. You know, if you think about Mr. I's rescue, it involved an, an air traffic control tower. It involved the crew, uh, the flight crew of an airplane. It involved the passengers on the airplane. It involved the Coast Guard. It involved the transponder signal in the pickup. It involved a whole lot of people, each of which did a few little things, and the result was Mr. I's life was saved. In the same way, God invites us to choose to play our part. He invites you into the joy of being part of his search and rescue. How do we do that? Well, let me give you a couple quick ways to do that, and then we'll close with a story. First of all, the scripture says that we join in God's mission when we live, when we choose to live, in such a way as to earn the respect of those around us. It's a big deal. First Thessalonians chapter 4 puts it this way. The Bible says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life to mind your own business, and to work with your hands so that your daily life will win the respect of outsiders. You know, the way that Jesus lived caused people who were far from God to want to hear what he had to say. God, in the same way, invites us as his sons and ours to live in such a way that our lives win respect, that we gain credibility. When I hear that, I say to myself, Greg, are you living in such a way that if you talk about God, anybody wants to listen? Your neighbors, people at the supermarket, people at the sports group, whatever, does anybody want to hear? I want to live in such a way that my life earns respect. Second, live in such a way that we are thought of as blameless. Here's how 1 Peter chapter 2 puts it. Live such good lives among the pagans. Pagans means people who don't know the truth about God. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and glorify God. Yeah, li live a life of doing good. My wife is so good at this. Everywhere she has worked, she has initially encountered prejudice and bigotry and skepticism, even outright hate, because very quickly people find out, A, that she's a believer, and B, that she's the pastor's wife. There's a scary thing. You just want to shut down the room and say, I'm the pastor's wife, right? And so initially, there's always that reaction. But inevitably, every single time I watch her slowly gentle and tame the people she works with until it gets to the point where they're coming to her. A year and a half ago, she flew on the mission trip to Uganda to work with orphans, and she took a couple of weeks off vacation in order to do that. And everybody at work was, oh, you're going to be gone. What are you doing? Well, I'm going to Uganda. Oh, it's going to be a safari. No, I'm actually going to work with orphans and poor kids. Really? You're going to use up your vacation to that? Yeah, I can't wait. I'm excited about it. It's my joy. Really? Well, that's weird. <laughs> but it's also kind of cool. And then when she came back, they're like, oh, what was it like? Tell us all about it. I mean, wow. God says when we live like that, he uses us to seek and save lost people, to be part of his search and rescue crew. And when we deliberately set out to do good for other people, uh, it's really that simple. Jesus put it this way. He said, let your light shine before men so they may see your good deeds and praise your Father. Be the kind of person who's always doing good for somebody because then they're like, wow, why are you doing that? Well, I'm actually doing that because God loves you. Because God loves me. Because I take joy in helping you. When we do those things, we plant seeds, we water seeds. Sometimes we help those seeds mature 
and bear fruit. And, and here's another one. Treat your church not as the local franchise of Jesus Incorporated where you periodically get a number three meal, <laughs> but instead treat it as the family of God, a place you belong to with your whole heart, where you serve, where you give, where you pray, where you love, where you forgive. Treat it that way. Jesus said that's actually the key to helping other people encounter the God who wants to save them. On the night he went to the cross, Jesus offered a prayer. I found it in John chapter 17 when I was in Bible college. Blew my mind. I've never gotten over it till this day. I won't get over it in this life. Because Jesus specifically prays for you and me. Here's what he says. I pray for those who will believe in me. So Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's sending them out to share this gospel. And he says, now I want to pray for all the people who are going to hear your, the gospel and then are going to believe. So he, you know, he's looking down through the centuries. Right at us. He says, I pray for those who will believe in me. And what does Jesus pray? He says, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them. When we love one another, people hear God, feel God seeking them. Our life together, Ron and I have been very privileged, humbly privileged to serve four churches in our lifetime. And each of those churches has grown dramatically and become healthy and, and become a cool place. And people say, what's your program? What are you doing? I wish I had a plan. I wish I was that smart. All I know is this. If we'll love one another genuinely and authentically, week in and week out, God speaks to people and draws them. God speaks to people and draws them. I don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. But when we love one another... God works through us. Jesus knew that. And so you know what he prays for MRCC and every other church in our community? He prays that they may be one, that they be united, that they would see each other not as customers at the local franchise, but as brothers and sisters doing life together as a family. And then the last thing, the last thing that we can do to be part of the search and rescue mission is speak up to offer grace. You know, be alert to those moments when somebody's struggling when somebody's looking for answers and you say because your life's one respect because they see you doing good because they see the way you're loved and love others in your church family and so then one day you say hey do you would you like to know the gospel what god feels for you did you know that god is seeking would you like to receive jesus do you need grace god's here to give it in this moment paul puts it this way in second corinthians chapter five he says we are therefore christ's ambassadors as though god were making his appeal through us we are we are sent to this world to be seekers and saviors, to be on the search and rescue team. Now, the last story that Jesus tells, verses 11 to 32 in Luke 15, parable of the prodigal son, we're not going to have time to get into that this morning, but it builds on this same theme, maybe the most famous story Jesus told. My wife said to me after first service, I'm upset. I'm disappointed you didn't do the parable of the prodigal. I said, honey, get used to disappointment. That's what it is being married to me. <laughs> But in the parable of the prodigal, Jesus tells this same story again about a seeking God. But at the end of it, this son who's made a bunch of dumb choices, who's squandered his inheritance, who is living in a pigsty, who, who's kind of at the end of his route, who's made a mess of his life. The son comes home and finds out that the father was seeking him all along. The father rejoices, he throws a party, and then the older brother comes in and says, what? He made this mess. Now you're just going to let him off? And the father says this, I pray for, uh, the father says, my son, you are always with me 
and everything I have is yours. Church, hear that because Jesus says that to you and me. God says that to you and me this morning. Everything I have is yours. You belong to me. I'm always with you. You're always with me. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Notice what he says. This brother of yours. See, God wants us to see our fellow human beings as our brothers and sisters that God wants to redeem. He wants to change our hearts in that way. And this morning, he wants you to know if you're far from God, he's seeking you. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, he's seeking you. He wants to rescue you from the mess that weighs on your heart, from the sense of lostness that's always nibbling at the edges of your life or maybe has taken over. He's seeking you. He wants to save you. He wants to bring you into his household. He wants to bring you into your knowledge of him as God. He wants to walk you out of the wilderness. He's seeking you. That's who he is. Let me finish with a story. Rebecca Solnit writes about the Rocky Mountain Search and Rescue Society, which is staffed by a few paid and a whole lot of volunteers who are dedicated to the mission of finding lost people in the Wyoming, Montana, and Colorado mountains. She says, contrary to expectations, lost children are always easier to find than lost adults. Why? The adults always try to save themselves and they end up getting more and more lost. They convince themselves that they can find their own way out. And all they end up doing is getting themselves in deeper trouble. She says, but children, children are amazing. She says, lost children, when they realize they're lost, they tend to just sit down and wait to be rescued. <laughs> they said it makes it easy for us to find them. We can build search patterns, clear out areas, and eventually we find them. She writes about one adult hiker who got lost and tried to save himself. And tragically, he had a cell signal the whole time he was lost. And the forest department tried to call him no fewer than 120 times. Every single time, he wouldn't answer. When they finally saved him and exposure had nearly taken his life, they said, why didn't you answer his phone, your phone? He said, I just figured it was telemarketers. <laughs> When God calls you, it's not spam. It's not telemarketers. It's him seeking to rescue you. And if he's calling you right now, you can answer. He hears your heart. He's completely devoted to rescuing you. All you have to do is be like a child and say, yeah, I am lost. I need to be rescued. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me this morning? And if that's you, you're saying in your heart, I, I'm lost. I, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's ahead. I don't know God. I don't know what my life's about. I don't know where it's going. I don't know what's going to happen when I die. If that's you this morning, then know this. Jesus is seeking you. He wants to set you free from your fear of death. He wants you to know God as your father. He wants you to feel like a son a daughter, and that happens when you simply say yes to his invitation, when you simply answer his call. This morning, he's seeking you. He hears your heart. In this moment, if you'll say to him, yes, Jesus, be my Savior. God, rescue me. Lead me out of the wilderness. He says, I will come in. I will live in your heart. From this moment forward, 
my voice, my presence will be with you. You can answer that call right now. Go ahead. He's listening. He hears you. He sees you. And he wants to rescue you. Most of us in this room have been rescued. And this morning, Jesus comes to us and invites us to go rescuing with him, to be part of his mission. Begins with realizing that he never gets tired of rescuing us. And then it grows into our openness to those around us. Are we the kind of people who people who are far from God draw near to, want to listen to? Lord, we pray this morning that you would teach us to be just that. To live lives that win respect. To live lives that are blameless, that are filled with good deeds. Lord, to be willing to speak up. To love one another in your church. That we might be part of your team. We pray for that. Help that to happen in our lives. We ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning, church? I preach too long, so every now and then I tell you to get out of here, leave the parking lot. I'm going to do that this morning. But Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.